We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are things? Uh, it is dry skin season in my household. I'm getting the uh, the chapped sides of my my nostrils, and that excites me more than anything in the world. It's I should take back. listeners behind the game here. We've been getting so many emails. People want to know how's Drew's dermis. We need dermis chat, and we need the- it early in the pod. <laughs> There's that day in the winter. You never know when it's gonna come. When or I never know when it's gonna come. When I, suddenly I'm rushing to grab all the aquifer I can and just applying it on random dry spots on my <laughs> fucking decaying middle-aged body. Like, ah, oh, sh- there goes my ass crack again. It's all chapped up. We got a guest. Let's stop talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, our guest this week is Simpsons executive producer and co-showrunner Matt Selman, who has been with the show since 1997. Wow. Holy underwear. Let's give Matt an eye caramba, shall we, Roth? Hey, uh, uh, how's it going, man? It's going great, guys. Um, it's Sorry going really great. Sorry to hear great. about Drew's ass crack. So yes, early that's in It was a good. No, line. I remember Philadelphia face. It was not. Are you guys in Philadelphia? No, we're all basically along the same corridor, um, corridor. in New York. Drew's in Metro DC, but plenty okay. of uh, plenty of bad weather to go around. Dan, yeah. Dan is in Philadelphia. Dan, yes, our own Dan McQuaid is in Philadelphia. Dan McQuaid, who just had a child. Oh this- shit. Last night, their first, he, him and his wife had their first kid, a little baby boy, who I believe is named after Corey Simon, but I cannot verify <laughs> that right now. Fletcher Cox McQuaid. Welcome. Right. Corey Feldman McQuaid? He's- Ooh. <laughs> I'm great, guys. I'm so flattered that you would have me on the show. And as always, I'm a little terrified. I'll say something that will end it all. But, you know, let's uh, let's see where we go. Yeah, no, no, we're gonna do our best to get you canceled. Don't you worry about it. We're so gonna try. We're gonna ask you all the all the mean hard questions. But let's mm-hmm. ask let's ask you all the easy shit first. You, you guys have resumed production on the series now that the strikes are over. Uh, what has production been like in the wake of the strikes? Have you guys had to like cram twenty six episodes of writing into like three weeks? Um. Well, the strike was challenging, but the Simpsons. Like it always seems to do, persevered through it in that we were very fortunate in that we didn't really have any new episodes that aired even at all during the strike. So obviously once the strike started, we couldn't do anything, but Fox was not going to not air the shows, but it mainly happened over the summer. I guess maybe in May, a show aired at the beginning of the strike, but those had already been locked and loaded or they were in the can, right? They were in the can, exactly. So, you know, the like the other writers, <laughs> the writers that you know are in the tumultuous nightmare of peak streaming, capricious three episode no money television. Uh, they, you know, really had a lot of you know struggles during the strike. The Simpsons were able to just pick up where we left off and there was really no interruption of anything because we were able to just do all the rewriting afterwards because it's animation. Oh, so it, it didn't cut into the production schedule for what would have been this fall season? Is that correct? Well, I mean, there might be maybe a little more of a gap in the spring than we would have had otherwise, but we usually have a lot of a gap in the spring anyway because there's so many like Oscars and Ward shows and Super Bowls that they don't want to put us up against them. So uh, it's 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 not going to be like a devastating gap. It's maybe going to be like a two-month gap instead of like a six-week gap. But as soon as we came back, we just hit the ball, hit the ball. We hit the ground rolling. <laughs> we hit the ball behind the runner to advance <laughs> a productive out. <laughs> the Simpsons is, it was a series of two-yard tush pushes <laughs> to, move, to move us forward. And uh, we certainly cut a lot of corners that we wouldn't ordinarily cut in order to make delivery dates, but we're going to make the delivery dates and we're not going to lose any episodes. So uh, everyone suffered more than us. That's my takeaway. <laughs> what what corners did you have to cut? Like, are the episodes going to be colored in? Did you have to do all the voiceover work? Like what, um, what, uh, what, what concessions did you have to make? We basically skipped a lot of the like six weeks of animation meetings that went between recording a script 
and rewriting the black and white version of the animation. So the, the stuff that we usually lovingly go over, we just did, we just skipped all the lovingly go overs and just said, okay, this is the, we did the animatic rewrite one week later instead of 12 weeks later. That old, that old period where you had it, was that a good time where you could put in sight gags you might not have been able to think of otherwise without a visual to work off of? No, we can still do that. We can still, we have the most amazing line producer and he hates it when I mention his name. So I'm going to mention his name. His name is Richard Chung and he is your, the dream producer. He's the guy who will be like, if you believe in it, I will make it happen. But he's also the guy who will say, do you really want to make this happen? And I like trust his judgment. Like, I'm like, is this a flight of fancy that no one will care about? Or is this, this really cool, fun thing that, adds specialness to a show like an example of that is is we did a canon loving fan and raging episode that was a largely a flashback in the early 90s where in enraged fans accidentally homer is a teen a young teenager in the early 90s in this particular episode because of the flexible nature of our timeline that people really right. should accept if they don't accept i don't know why they like the show but um People were so mad that Homer was a teenager in the 90s when he should have been, I guess, a father to Bart, who was 10 and have graduated from high school in 1974. That, right, listening to Queen. Um, listening yeah. to Queen. That after the show aired for this 90s flashback portion of the show, I said to Richard Chung, hey, what if we went back and put in a kid wearing a classic 90s Bart Simpson don't have a cowman t-shirt in the in that reality of where Homer is a teenager, like a, a super mega contradiction, just to deliberately point out the beautiful contradiction that is our show. And Richard was like, yes, let's do that, which is a very indulgent thing to do. But to me, it's the kind of special little gem that makes the job fun. No, no, I, I like that. I like that. What has he denied you? Have you ever been like, oh, well, I need Homer to actually put uh, <laughs> Smithers through a wood chipper and Smithers uh, dies for good? Smithers dies. Um, I've blocked those out. I've compartmentalized the failures, the fails. Uh, you know, part of the one of the reasons I've been so successful at this 27 or 28 year career I've had is I'm, I'm really good at forgetting the things that didn't go my way. And I just literally just, erase them from my brain. Actually, I've forgotten, forgotten most of the things that did go my way too. I've forgotten everything, That's which is also helpful. That's I was going to say, that's like self-care is what you're describing there. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of your worst showbiz careers are people that never forget anything that didn't go their way and then their whole personality is that. So if you could pick the other way to go, that's obviously the way to be. Yeah, I mean, it's like light, Alzheimer's light. <laughs> The free version, the free version of Alzheimer's. You, <laughs> right, download. You, keep, I mean, you, you getting pinged to like, are you yeah. sure you don't want to upgrade? Not, the, completely paid, forgetting everything? not the paid version, just the kind of forget all this bad stuff. And, you know, but what you guys were saying in the notes you sent me, I'm sorry to jump ahead, guys. But you guys can ask me all the You questions. got a lot of fucking nerve, brother. But, <laughs> Get his ass. But like, you know, how do you think of new episodes? How do you keep the show fresh? How do you not be paralyzed by the excellence of the past? It's like... Alzheimer's light, baby. Just wipe it yeah. and move I was, on. I was going to say, because like you kind of don't have to remember your fuck-ups doing the show because it's The Simpsons. Your fans are going to inform you of whatever <laughs> slights you may have uh, committed, whether or not they're slights at all. Yeah, so you're yeah I mean, our fans are like super smart. They super care. They It brings them great pleasure to, you know, analyze the show and according to their literary style of judgment, which may be different than mine, but if it brings them pleasure, then I'm thrilled. Okay, okay, but they can be kind of annoying too sometimes, right? Um, excuse me, but they're not actually from Northern Kentucky. Thank you very right. much. Right, <laughs> I guess, you know, I mean, isn't apathy is the worst response or just not watching the show anymore, which <laughs> trust me, plenty of people have that option as well. But, uh, you know, like if they're enraged by what they perceive to be the pace of an episode or, you know, the characterization they think is off, you know, thank you for caring. I love you. I give you love for caring. Have they ever cared a little too much, like at you? Like, oh, I really love you. I, I love you, man. I love the show. Like, I'm going to just follow you home. 
Um, not yet. Well, fingers so, crossed. Yeah. You know, there's some, you know, it's always a little tricky these days, not wanting to be murdered. And, uh, <laughs> so true. But I, you know, I'm just going to move forward with the spirit of hope that, that Homer was in one episode, a teenager in 1992, uh, is not a death worthy offense. Yeah. I was going to say, once you've gotten, uh, like a few decades of being a TV show under your belt, you'd hope that, uh, like obviously some of those little, uh, rounding errors would be forgiven. One thing you mentioned about fans of the show and like, obviously I don't know if it's obvious, but Drew and I are fans of the show. You're like, you're millennial fans. We are like, that's the thing is that like, there's, I imagine that you're encountering like a lot of different tasting notes on the palate in terms of Simpsons freaks. Like my nephew and niece who are like 11 and nine are also Gonzo Simpsons fans now. This is like, there's going to be different. That's the best. It, I mean, it's cool for me because like I can, like, it's sort of hard to know what to talk to a nine year old about. And it's like, I can still give you 15 minutes on like groundskeeper, Willie, like origins and personality, you know? So it's like being able to bond over that is, uh. Is positive. The bit that I wanted to ask about, though, a show that's been on as long as The Simpsons has, people that were fans of that show growing up are certainly writing for it now. Like mm-hmm. how, I guess, because you you talked a little bit about like just sort of going for it, trying to be funny, whatever, and like not worrying too much about who you're going to piss off or, you know, what sort of lore related toes are getting stepped on. But how do you keep from getting sort of tangled up in that sort of self-referentiality or uh, like just in the previous, you know, whatever, 30 odd years of being a television show. How do you keep that from uh, being like oppressively felt in a writer's room? Um, You know, one of the great joys of this show, the reason I still get excited about coming to work every day, which I, I really am most days, honestly, very lucky to have that feeling is the, the, the challenge I think I'm good at is finding fresh areas, emotional areas and satirical and plot and everything and silliness areas that we haven't done. And I don't really to to go back and look at that giant red book of all the episodes, which isn't even all the episodes. It's half the episodes at this point. Like they're never going to make a book for the rest. Where's my book? (laughs) So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that, the giant red book of Simpsons episodes, which is only half the episodes, is creative paralysis, that book. And you just cannot think at all. If you even skim the pages, it is like crazy glue that stops your brain from working. Yet, you know, I take just great – like I thought of something yesterday based on a real-life thing that I did. Like I already in my mind know the table read has gone great. That sounds very cocky. But in my mind, the way we will extrapolate this real life family kerfuffle into a exciting high state, high emotional stakes Simpsons episode is clear in my head. And I know. What is it? Can you tell us? I don't want to ruin it, but I'll just say Come on, I won't air for like a fucking year. You can tell the emotional stakes are is Marge's self-image in the town that everyone thinks she's a good person. I don't think that has ever been on. And and then the way that those stakes are challenged is through a kind of kidnapping and extortion story. So Homer and Marge have to respond to a kidnapping and extortion situation, which is always great dramatic fun. And we, I know we've never dealt had, we've never done those dynamics of like, do we pay them? Do we not pay them? Where's the drop off? What's the threat? What's the escalation? Like all the great stuff from a kidnapping story with a, with, between a married couple where the stakes isn't like their kid's face, but something emotionally strong, but, you know, not life or death is I'm feeling I was very feeling very confident about. It. And even if there was a season 22 episode based on Mel Gibson's ransom, you don't care. About <laughs> it. Leave it be. It's I might watch. Issue. I might watch Mel Gibson's ransom for like. A, Give me back my son. Yeah, yeah, he definitely, he hit some of the hardest give me back my sons in cinema history right. in that. What I'm getting from Matt here is that his wife kidnapped and extorted somebody and he is using that for the episode. And I think that's a really, that's a good idea. You got to use Grist every- for the mill. Yeah, you got to use every part of the animal when you're, when you're a writer on this show. One of my it's kids just, is actually it's, currently kidnapped and we're dealing with it. 
so nice that you but would I'm take like, the time to... I, how can I make this fun for the people? What would be good is that you will spend, because it's The Simpsons, I have to think that the writer's room, like just getting the ransom note gag correct. Right. Like that's a that's a good that's a good fun day in the writers' room just to, just to think of good ransom. Every day is ideas. fun in the writers' room. Every day is fun. It's so we're so lucky. Even the days where we get nothing done, those are the most fun days. Um, oh, are, nothing gets done in a Hollywood writers' room. I've yeah. never heard of that ever. Happening. Never. But like we haven't decided yet who the kidnappers are. It's so raw this story. But someone pitched that it was if it was Jimbo and Shauna. You know, Shauna is kind of Jimbo's teen peer. I think teenage extortioners could be good. Well, because they'd be so competent, you know. Right. right. Well, it's that, that level of excellence that can only be found. But I, there's something that – so when we were talking to writers during the strike, we had a, a few WGA people on. They sure. talked about what like a high-functioning writer's room is like. And they also <laughs> mentioned that it that it actually is like a fun place to be. And that was – I mean, I think I'd always imagined that. This shit is all magic to me. I've never been anywhere near the business, really. But that the idea of like what the the sort of the the new ideal that the streamers were trying to do, where it's like instead of a writer's room, it's like a Zoom call that everybody has to be on for five hours a day. Like what I see you shaking your head. Like what is lost necessarily? Like what makes a good writer's room work, I guess, is my like, what does it feel like and how does it uh, differ from a bad one? Well, Every producer, writer has their own criteria, right? I personally hate Zoom when after COVID ended, sort of ended, <laughs> and we went back in person, I felt smart again. And I didn't realize how stupid I felt being so distracted. Even when I'm trying not to be distracted, you just, a Zoom call, like you guys aren't even paying attention to me now. Your wives are texting you. You're reading scary tweets. You know, you're looking yeah, at your- Yeah, I have my browser open. I'm actually not. You're yeah. checking your crypto, like whatever. Like, I'm, look, I'm looking at you, but I'm also trying to see what snacks you have on the shelf behind right. you in your office. Exactly. Yeah, I'm watching just some fabulous porn. It's fantastic. Right. Just enough. the, be like, the best. It's not fun trying to manage creative people who are watching porn. So- Speak for yourself, <laughs> sir. So like- I just love working in person. That's why I love this job. That's like the funnest part. I mean, part of it is like making people pay attention to me. I guess that's part of the job too. Right. But Cause like, you're the showrunner. You can be like, right. Hey, eyes on me, motherfucker. Like, but like, you know, you're not really allowed to have your phone in the room. I mean, obviously people, there's exceptions. If like something's going on in their life, they can always leave the room to go. They want to disappear to play a, Premium video game for two hours. I probably am not going to say anything. Yeah, if you have to kidnap or extort somebody, you got to yes. leave the room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, like, or if they're dealing with that situation. Um. So, like, I have a friend who's working on a show right now that is still Zoom only because the network doesn't want to pay to rent a writer's room and for snacks. Oh, no snacks. That's no no Lacroix. That's, that's bullshit. No Lacroix. Like, it is so short sighted. They're they're making like that is like penny wise pound foolish. The amount of value you're getting out of a staff who can feed off each other's energy is so high. Assuming it's a functional room, of which there are many dysfunctional rooms, but assuming it's at all functional, that is like cheapness that will hurt the product in a unbelievably noticeable way. I'd have to think that that matters even more for comedy than it yes, would that's true. for drama, right? Hundred percent. You're in a writer's room. You're trying to make each other laugh because whatever makes you guys laugh is going to be what makes America laugh. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, do you guys do you guys have a office? We do, but it's at very seldom are you there with like I've I've been in you know every now and then, but I think I could count on one hand the number of times that I've been in there at the same time as someone else for the last few months. And this is something that I think is. In general, I've, I've talked to some of our other coworkers about this. Guys that re remember working in like proper newsrooms where everybody's like talking and giving each other shit, even when 
we did have an office and we were all together back at the old website, nobody talked. Like it was all happening in Slack. So like if someone yeah. got a good joke off, the room would be totally silent and then everybody would laugh and then everybody would get quiet again. Like it did have kind of a, a weird uh, dystopian science fiction energy to it that was not what I associated with a workplace. But that's it's also- too, That's too bad. It does seem like it. And I feel like, especially with, if you're trying to write funny stuff, like other people laughing is how you know that it's working. Like that's like a, a real primate part of your brain there. But it's like, you know, the most basic test to pass in that. And, you know, if you're not doing it, then you wouldn't necessarily know. If you're just like getting one off in Slack and someone hits you with an LOL, that's not really the same thing as saying that they laughed at your joke. We, oh, yeah, yeah. We don't, yeah, have, we don't have Slack here. I don't know if we do. Oh, actually, you know, be, what if there was a secret Slack where everyone was saying what a garbage I was? I would love that. I would be. I was going to oh, say it would make me so happy if there was like a hate Slack about me. That I do. I do wonder if Defector has that. Like, there's a private channel where it's like no Druze and it's no like, Druze allowed. Drew Everybody just, just makes fun of the Vikings in there all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's not oh, true. Ah, oh, Drew just pissed and moaned about everyone being depressing again. Ah, oh, what a what a shitty asshole. What we're is. basically all discussing here is the fact that computers make you insane. That this yeah. is just like there's new ways to get paranoid and unhappy about this. Speak for yourself, Mike. I mean, I I wish I was with you guys in Washington D.C. and the Northeast Corridor right now. That would be so much fun. And like, I'm a you know I'm a student of. Collaboration, right? That's that's my main job is collaboration. It's super fun. Like when I went to school with the same school as Dan McQuaid, I believe, the University of Pennsylvania. Ah, you know, there's the connection. All right, there we that go. That was like I was like the editor of the kind of bad, you know, weekly entertainment magazine there. Although it wasn't bad, it just wasn't good. But the Pen Lampoon? <laughs> it wasn't a comedy magazine. It was like more like entertainment weekly. It was like, we wanted to do, we loved pop culture anyway, but like that was fun. And like, that was collaboration and that was a super formative experience. And like, I just believe every two people in this, this sounds so corny guys. I'm sorry. But, you know, no, every, no, no. every, every two good. people have like a unique energy between them. And if you surround yourself with people for whom that, that energy is like silly, you do better work and you think of better ideas than by yourself. Like there's this guy, John Frank on our show, who's a hilarious writer and really great writer. But like, you just look at this guy's face and you want to say funny stuff. You just want to <laughs> say funny stuff to Frank's goofy face. Oh, like, even Maven. Yep. Yeah, he's, like, yeah, he's I was literally say, the, he's, he's the, he's the, John Frank, the, the Hoyven Maven was named after him. Yeah, oh yeah. Incredible. The professor himself. What an amazing honor to learn that that's, that's like, um, how there was like a Lutz on 30 Rock, where right. I was just kind of like, oh, right. Like, Can I oh, ask I you, Matt, do, do you guys have a, a nice writer's room? Because I actually, I did work in a writer's room in Hollywood for a week. I worked on the sports show with Norm MacDonald, and it was on the Warner lot. But it was like, it was very much a temp office. Like, it, it, like it, it felt like a middle school, like, trailer classroom that you were navigating to get to the writer's room. So it wasn't like, like, I was expecting, like, you know, maybe there'd be some tasteful leather-bound books and, you know, a refrigerator filled with Dom Perignon and, and you know, things of that nature. That was that was not it. I was essentially at a construction site that was a, a writer's room. The <laughs> Simpsons get a little bit more proper accommodation since it is a multi-billion dollar concern. Um, we've just been in the same offices for like 100 years. And they're just these kind of nice bung outdoor, indoor bungalows Ooh, in a, on an old Classic. lot, but nothing like Fancy, nothing like what like a Ryan Murphy or a J.J. Abrams or any of these modern super producers would have with like a fridge with a transparent door and all the sodas have to be lined up perfectly because he has a transparent door in the in the fridge. Although I did say to the PA today, pretend our fridge had a transparent door. That's how the sodas <laughs> should be arranged, even though we know it's not a transparent door. Our you could draw our PA, our are on the fridge door. <laughs> you could draw how it should be arranged and you could diagram it and say, this is how it ought to be. So I think it's kind of shabby chic or like old school Hollywood relaxed vibe, but not not if we were one of the new super producers of like a Greg Berlanti or a, I don't know, Chuck Lorre. I'm sure Chuck Lorre has very fancy offices with every modern convenience. He just gets a floating like city above the lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Ryan Murphy's offices are the Vegas sphere. There's just constantly some sort of AI projection <laughs> going on in there. Do you get your own little 
since you're the EP, do you get your own little bungalow on the lot apart from the writer's room and you can like, that you can drop into and like have a taco like privately and well i just have and, a you can kind of see the office scenario here going on the zoom right yeah. so i'm sorry that that is your simpsons office that's not yes. your home is that correct this is my simpsons office well you know i have to for the people that can't see which is everyone i do have to give respect to the uh, elliptical bike in the background with the <laughs> fan which is like st such strong 1988 aerobic equipment i really it was like the one i really like i could do cardio and get a light breeze all at the same time it's a <laughs> lovely piece of equipment and that's I, from the set of 1984's jamie lee curtis john travolta perfect and you have not only one shitty college couch but two and that is cool as shit but you're 100 percent right about the the purpose of that uh, exercise bike i literally only have it there so that if someone comes in for a meeting i just get on it like a yuppie in like working girl so I can be like, hold on one second. It's like you always see those great scenes of a guy in a suit in his office on his weird 1980s elliptical. And that's how you knew he was a fucking jackass. That was all the characterization you need was biking yep. office. So uh, that's why it's there. But we used to have shorthand in this country. Now look at us. I bought an elliptical during the pandemic and I put it in the basement. And now, like I work out on it still, but my son... The uh the eleven year old like I've gone down and like he's like he's on it and he's sort of slowly pedaling while watching shit on his iPad while playing the Switch and I'm like motherfucker like you have to like that is for exercising young man and he's like oh I am exercising I'm like no it doesn't count it's bullshit but uh, I got used to that a long time ago in my day we exercised by watching one screen yeah, yeah. seriously that's Just goddamn one. right. And I would, and we would listen to our disc man like while running, like it was, mm -hmm. and, and I had, I had the sport headphones that were yellow. So that everyone knew I was working out hardcore. It was great. We, uh, <laughs> we need to take a quick break. These okay. are sports. Uh, so Roth's going to have water. We'll take a quick yep. commercial break. Before we cut to break, I just want to note though, don't miss the show. Critics are calling Inessential. Matthew Lillard and Angie Harmon star in the all new DEA Toronto, airing Fridays only on CMT and streaming on the Kid Rock Plus app. We'll be right back with <laughs> Matt Selman. Matthew Lillard. <laughs> Hey, it's Drew, and this week we're sponsored by Wild Grain, the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every Wild Grain item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. I got a Wild Grain box a few weeks ago that had their pasta in it and their bread. Both of them were delicious, and I would order it again. And now you can fully customize your Wild Grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, all pasta or all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction and start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction. One more time, that's wildgrain.com slash distraction, or use the promo code distraction at checkout. The Distraction is sponsored by BetterHelp. Whether or not you or your family give gifts during the holidays, you get to define how you give to yourself. The holidays are an especially great time to do that. So whether it's by starting therapy or going easier on yourself during the tough moments or treating yourself to a day of complete rest, remember to give yourself some love this holiday season. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, something to look forward to, help you feel grounded, to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It's an important tool to consider if you're looking to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, even if you're someone who hasn't experienced major trauma. And if you want to try therapy and you're not sure where to start, BetterHelp is a great tool to keep in mind. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. And we're 
back with Simpsons executive producer and co-showrunner, Matt Selman. And Matt, wow. I wish you, I don't know if you have a sister named Patty, but wouldn't that be so appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, I mean, Maddie Selman is sort of like Patty Selma. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. It's it's, it's almost good enough. We can we can we can accept that. We uh, we can talk sports to you because you know about sports, Matt Selman. <laughs> and uh, we have to talk about the story du jour of the week, which is the college football playoff. Undefeated ACC champion Florida State got excluded from the college football playoff uh, this weekend in favor of Alabama, which has a loss, and Texas, which also has a loss. Uh, I'll ask this first, actually, of Roth. Where does Florida State's uh, snub fall on the spectrum of unjust to hilarious Roth? I mean, I think that we have to be open as adults to the possibility that it's both extremely unjust and extremely hilarious. I think that this is one of those ones where, like, the uh, selection committee was pretty open about the fact that Florida State deserved to make it but isn't going because their quarterback has a leg injury. Yes, Jordan Travis snapped his leg in half a few weeks ago, and and that was bad. I was trying to be nice about it. But yeah, his leg is real fucked up. He can't. obviously is not going to be able to play. I he think might that, have died. Who's, who knows? Who's to say? But, you know, but look, that's not what we're talking about here. We're on, we're okay. on to the, uh, the <laughs> football championship. The thing that's funny about it to me, I guess is that it's happening to Florida State. With all love to Israel Daramola, we love Israel, but he's not a representative of that fan base to me. This is the thing, as somebody who's more or less outside of college football to me, is that there's no bad thing that could happen to any of these programs that I wouldn't be amused by. So, I mean, I feel like it sucks for them. I feel bad, and obviously you never want to see Bama catch a break either, just on principle. And yet, like... The fact that it's unjust does not make it, uh, you know, any less amusing in that sort of like, if you understand it at a, a sort of an entertainment narrative level, as opposed to who will reign supreme as the best football program in the country. And so I mean, guys, I went to the Georgia TCU championship game at SoFi in last oh, January. Wasn't that, a, wasn't that a treat for you? And <laughs> nail biter. It, um, <laughs> and I went with a bunch of, Drunker than you can imagine, Georgia frat relatives of mine. I can imagine pretty drunk Georgia frat people, I should say. But I, mean, I believe you're probably. <laughs> and, you know, I guess it was a fun game because my wife and I spent literally the second half just walking around SoFi in circles, eating all their different foods, <laughs> doing like a kind of everybody feed fill of SoFi Center because it was the most boring one-sided thing you ever saw. Yeah. So I guess that's what they're afraid of, right? That, Mi yeah, oh. that Michigan will do that to Florida State. A thousand percent. So and like, it's a completely – I think they And would. having been to that – like I love football. Having been to a game that was so so much a blowout, it was – I would just eat three different types of Asian-themed nachos rather than watch it. <laughs> that's, like that's – I mean it's a valid fear for them. Yeah. You don't want to put fans in the mindset where they want to do like a churro flight instead of watching the game that you put on the field. Well, let me ask you about that churro flight, Matt Selman. Did you like the stadium? I've never been to that stadium. Did you slip on the concrete floor? Did you have good Asian-themed nachos? Were, were drinks $28 a piece? How Is that was the one it? with the long hamburger? That's the one with the long burger, right? You know, there's so many different levels. Like SoFi is like, going to SoFi is like going to the airport. There's like a hundred <laughs> different securities, 20 wristbands, 50 escalators, you know, park, you have to park a million miles away. I mean, we're fortunate in that there's some, the Simpsons has these like football, good football seats for us to go see Rams and Chargers games. Those are really good seats and you can, it's a really good vantage point to see the, those two, well, the Chargers aren't good and the Rams are well coached, but probably not that great either hot takes yeah but um <laughs> the, the food the food is really good i'm a little i love stadium food i love it but i sometimes i always just go back to the hot dog bar like, yeah i was gonna say so uh, stadium food is like a different thing now than it was when i was young like are you like loyal to the like chicken fingers and fries school of things or if you're at a place where they have like you know, professional grade tacos. Will you opt for that? Or you're just, you're a hot dog boy at heart. I like to try everything, but then usually I'll just, the gravity of hot dogs with like one of those, and I'll put the nacho cheese from the nacho bar Ooh, on the hot dogs. Yeah. Yep, will yep. just pull me back. But I will say, so the SoFi food is, is really good on that, on that one level. 
Well, also you can rely on the hot dog. It's like it's like when you go to the hotel restaurant and the menu's got fish tacos on it, but you're like, and you're like, ooh, that sounds good. But wait a second, I'm in Cleveland. Can they really pull that off? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, do you know how to talk? How, like, you can make and then that? They, it's, and then you get it and you're like, yeah, I really, really should have gotten a fucking cheeseburger. That really would have been the right move. So, Drew, before we move on entirely, I want, because you've actually, like, it seems like had a college football renaissance in your life this year. Like, you seem to be way more dialed in on it than I remember you being in the past. Do you care about what happened to Florida State? Are you asking about me? Because you're the guy that cares the most. I'm asking you, man. Does it bug you? So, teenage me, back when, like, like I used to follow the lead of all the sports arts. Like I, I fucking hated the BCS. I hated the bowl system. I wanted the playoff. And now like, like after this happened, like Bamani Jones went on a rant against the playoff. Like he was like, oh, it's, the playoff was so stupid, so hard. There's no way, there's no good way to crown a college football champion. And I was like, Bo, that's, that's wrong. Like, and I'm fine with it. But so back then I would have been like, this is an injustice. Like Florida State, a scrappy underdog Florida State, like deserved, you know, a place, you know, like I would have been very, very pissed. Now it's like, I just want a good TV show. And so my my interests align mm-hmm. with the committee. But I do want to ask uh, Matt Selman about it because Matt, one of the things about this playoff is that they always want to present how hard of a decision it was for the committee where they're like, oh, oh, they agonized over keeping out Florida State. And so ESPN just uh, yesterday, they published a report. And while I, I want to read the first uh, couple paragraphs to you, Matt. Tell me if you if this sounds genuine to you. This is from Heather Dinich of ESPN. And she wrote, it was between 1.30 and 2 a.m. Uh, Central Time on Sunday after the conference championship games when the 13 members of the college football playoff selection committee finally left their meeting room. They had been sequestered for hours as they determined the top four teams in the country. They knew what they could potentially wind up with, and it didn't feel good. Matt, do you believe that narrative when it, <laughs> as it's written? Look, guys, I am the least qualified person to talk about NFL or college football in the entire country. But here's my hot take. Football used to be run by, professionally, they were run by a collection of evil owners. And then the college was run by a collection of uh, greedy and NCAA executives. Now, and the thing that no one, this is a little bit more bigger picture than what Go you for asked, it. but this is my hot take. Everyone works for the bookies. <laughs> the bookies, the bookies big, are- Big the, fan duel? Yes. The bookies are 100% the top of the food chain. And even though, and I love football, 30% of the plays could go either way. So the number one, I literally, I think, believe it is a trillion dollar sport when you take the entire ecosystem into account. It is a trillion dollar sport and it goes bookies, owners, evil NCAA executives, then conference executives, then GMs, then coaches, then players, then you guys, then the bottom feeders like you guys. And all the different thousands of... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the top feeders. <laughs> no, it's all right. Now, do, you mean, feeders, do you mean unlicensed bookies, like uh, like a dude named Spider in New no, Jersey? I mean or, like... So like like our sponsor, Bareback Sportsbook, would like a leg, the legit, the yes. license joints. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh. It's in the back. But also that the fact that the spread is now part of the discussion, everything is to drive gambling. Everything is to drive betting. Everything in the entire sport is to drive betting. Betting, betting, betting. It's it's used to be like this fun 30% of the game. Now it's this kind of gross 80% of the game, in my opinion. I feel like there's something to that tonally, uh, just in the sense of like, it used to be when like Al Michaels would make like a cheeky reference to the spread during a broadcast. He'd be like, oh, Al, you're so bad. And I, I liked it. I don't gamble. I don't give a shit. But it was like the sort of thing where I was like, oh, you know, he's acknowledging that that exists. But somehow when it goes from like subtext and jumps into the actual text itself, which if you watch, it doesn't happen as much during NFL games, but I watched the, um, and this is a real pervert confession here i watched the xfl championship during like a real slow moment during the summer and that's like what they talked about during the game sure like it was like the team's like driving at the end and they're like all right it's an eight and a half point uh spread too so this could really go either way and you're like but like it was on the screen it was like like visually under the uh score like the over and under and the spread 
I mean, do you, if you guys want to be depressed, we do we ever watch, buddy? Watch. <laughs> I always think I'm going to like this. Scott Van Pelt's Bad Beats on yeah. ESPN. So I'm like, oh man, Bad Beats. That's going to be so funny. All these come from behind things, and then you realize people are betting on college football teams you've never heard of with 35 point spreads with like low res VHS quality film that you're watching. And like, oh my god, people are betting on everything yeah just sweating it out to some socon game on your laptop it's not like a a bad beat if like the clippers come back and beat the nuggets or something it's it's a bad beat of like fake imaginary religious college versus you know other (laughs) we other barely real religious college you know football teams you know exploitation generating nightmare and like oh my god like i mean viewership is driven by gambling Viewers, I'm again like I'm not anti-gambling. I'm just saying that the food chain has been rearranged. I think that that's part of what makes the story that Drew was quoting so funny to me. Is yes, that exactly. As I think it's as all it's about gotten, gambling, right? So as it gets more cynical and more in the text, you have to like pump up the volume on the other stuff so that it's like 13 guys in a room. None of them could eat. They hadn't slept in days. Like who will be the four teams to compete, you know, like in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl this year or whatever. Like that all of that, it's like, so you can feel that the sort of like the pomp and circumstance goes up commensurate with the actual sort of like decline of the all. Yeah, the it's like it's like the only day of the year that they're going to work. Like Condoleezza Rice didn't even touch her pizza. She was so dialed. <laughs> <in>. yeah, <laughs> I love that uh, also that um, when they finally put a representative from that committee on TV, it was like just exactly the sort of guy that you'd think like it's, you know, read like 13 people in a room doing their level best. Like your brain sort of checks down to like, you know, John F. Kennedy's brain trust during the Bay of Pigs. And then you finally see them and it's just some like perfectly pink golf guy named Boo being like, well, you know, this is the sort of thing we take very seriously. And that's why uh, none of us have actually other jobs. This is all we do is think about it. <laughs> just like, all right, all Boo. I mean, look, this is not a hot take or insight of any kind, just that the SEC runs the whole well, show. That was one of the things like yeah. SEC commissioner Greg Sankey, who is, of course, is on the committee. Like they were, I never thought for a second that Alabama would get excluded from the playoffs. It just wouldn't, wasn't going to happen. And they're, I mean, if, no, jo- if Georgia, Georgia, if Georgia oh, had yeah, won, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the least about- qualified person to have an opinion about this. Yes. Yeah, so if I'm- Georgia had won, by the way, my, so my, I talked to my nephew, who's a huge Bulldog super fan. And he said he was in a sports bar when they were announcing the, the final four. And they messed with everyone by announcing like one, two, three, six. So br- they heard <laughs> everyone heard. Georgia fourth, they heard it just it like spoken, spoken aloud, aloud. Fourth because they were met. They wanted to do it in like the bachelor style, maximum dramatic reveal. Right. So it was like one, two, three, Georgia. And they all cheered. And then no way Georgia was six. Boo. <laughs> this is why as a Rutgers basketball fan, I would appreciate it if they did the second four out before they do on selection Sunday. Just, I want to hear, you know, but like you have to respect the money printing abilities of the NCAA that someone like me who really wasn't interested in college football at all watched two college football games this weekend. Like they got me. Oh yeah. I watched yeah. Michigan and I watched Alabama, Georgia and they were like, this is an, this is, it's a professional sports league with national teams, with huge fan bases. They are geniuses. This four game playoff is a, a billion dollar enterprise and when it goes to 12 it's going to be hundreds of billions and it's good for them but i did want to note that uh so sankey and you know when they brought up the idea of excluding alabama after they had won the the sec title game he said well that that simply wasn't going to be an option like they were not there was no way they were going to leave an <laughs> sec team out because the sec and the big 10 essentially run the sport and will continue to particularly next year when both of those conferences expand because the SEC will now have Texas, who, by the way, made the playoff. And the Big Ten will have Washington, who, by the way, made the playoff. So it's an entirely Big Ten SEC uh, playoff, uh, you know, you know, if you're if you're going by the future, which why not? So it's 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 unsurprising in that regard. Matt, before we open up the fun bag, we do have to talk about your favorite professional teams. I just have to apologize to all sports fans for I know nothing. 
Yeah, but you you got all fired up. That was great. That was good radio. Don't. <laughs> yeah, you know enough about how this shit works to know that if you don't know what you're talking about, just get get excited. You know who I like, guys? I like I like Nick Wright. Do you guys like him? Yeah, he's a friend of Defector. I think he's funny, and I I think his energy is great. He's grown that hair long, though. Cut cut your hair, young man. You can't yeah. go out yeah. like that. Matt, let's talk about your favorite professional teams, the Boston Celtics and the New England Patriots. Now, the Celtics are currently the top seed in the East right now, so I actually don't really want to talk about them. Let's talk about the Patriots instead, because they're yeah. fucking terrible. <laughs> because, well, we all know that that uh, Jason Tatum is not going to collapse in the playoffs. We know that for sure. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. We all know that like, having Everybody a great regular season. knows se- it, Matt a great, a great regular season record is going to guarantee Alpha Dog Tatum, <laughs> who's going to be so locked in and completely rise to the level of championship That's right. Jalen Brown won't forget how to pass during the playoffs. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic. I'm really <laughs> excited for that. Like, I don't even want the Celtics to do well in the regular season. I <laughs> I think that hurts them in the postseason. And least hot take of the world, I, basketball I, I'm is- I'm glad you is, added it, the regular season caveat there. At first, I, would, I was like, this guy's getting too hot. You're like, I don't even want him to do this well. Is my, I, I this is my parody of hot takes that I'm just repeating. All right. The, <laughs> the playoffs are the only season of basketball. Get out. There. Okay. Sure. Shit. Brand new take. Excuse me, Brand sir. Brand new guys. So we can steer clear of playoff discourse entirely by talking about the Patriots. This is in season tournament erasure as well, and I won't stand for it. I was looking forward to see because <laughs> the tournament finals are are this week, and I'm excited to watch it for five minutes until the court design gives me an, uh, a migraine headache, and I can't watch it anymore, <laughs> and I have to turn it off. So that I find that very exciting. So let's talk about the Patriots because they're really, really, really okay. fucking bad. In fact. And this is the fun stat yes. of the weekend that everyone threw around. For the third straight week, uh, the Patriots held an opponent under 10 points, and they lost all three of those games. And that had not been done since, like, the 1910 Fort Wayne Pilots or whoever the fuck. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. It was a team that played in, like, a declining industrial. Yeah, it's a team that, that some franchise that no longer exists. And, and, in fact, was like a rugby franchise or something like that. So uh, the Kalamazoo whistle poppers. I was gonna say yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> just, just pitching the Youngstown bigots. Yeah, <laughs> we're at work now. We're at work, and I'm pitching on funny old time shit. Um, well, it's sad because I certainly loved the Patriots Super Run. Right. Here's my question for you guys. I'm gonna throw it back to you. If they said to Belichick, "Hey man, you're great at coaching, but you're you're not so hot." at GM. So we're going to bring in another GM to put the team together. And you're just going to work with that, like a regular coach. Would he accept that? Because clearly that's right. part of the He's problem. A terrible right? GM. Has been for like a decade yep. now. Right. So would he accept that demotion or- Roth, you want to answer that? Not? I feel like he wouldn't. I think it's the right move. But I feel like at this point, you know, as with a lot of your- uh, a lot of institutions in the culture that suddenly have revealed themselves to be just made entirely of termites. Uh, I don't know how you would begin to roll back the responsibilities that Belichick has in that organization towards something more reasonable or even just along the scale of another very powerful coach. Like, I mean, all of his assistants, with the exception of Gerard Mayo, who I guess is there basically as his successor or, you know, is being sort of groomed as that by Belichick. All of the rest of them are guys that he has around because they are no threat to him, because they're like sycophants. And then organizationally, I don't know, like, who was I, who was even their last actual GM? Was it uh, Pioli? Might have been. Oh, he had some fixer guy named like Ernie or something like that who was like. Yeah, it was like a long enough time ago, though, that it's like, I feel like Belichick did get to, you know, he won a Super Bowl, a few Super Bowls with his teams of like Navy guys and high school lacrosse superstars and you know just like the randos that i he's think any into. gm gm under any gm that was with him was a gm in name only i think ever since he has been in new england he has run the entire operation right. so also, so it's a deal breaker yeah it's yeah. a deal breaker yeah i feel like it would be and i feel like it's also going to be weird i like it's not him he's not gonna like go out one way or the other i feel like he is a lock for a reputation tarnishing 
last go round with some other team that brings him in thinking that he's the last piece. <coughs> Carolina. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it really could be like that feels David Tepper to me. So I don't know that he's got, I would love to see Tepper and fucking Belichick go at it. Like those two yep. guys deserve each other. Well, the, the other thing is that, you know, his skills as a general manager are, are clearly lacking, but the thing this year is that he has done an awful coaching job. He did an awful coaching job last year too. He's 71 and so, you know, I'm, I've been sitting here, and I'm not the only one to think this, whether or not he's desirable just as a coach at this point, because he destroyed that offense last year so badly by putting unqualified assistants in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in charge of that offense. He got an actual offensive coordinator this year in Bill O'Brien. The offense has gotten worse, and now he's doing this shit where he's like, he's picking up a different uh, quarterback like Malik Cunningham off the practice squad this week and then dropping them like two days later and not telling anybody who he's starting and like giving different guys reps, like just like a whole different, like it's almost as if he's deliberately tanking, but like he's not deliberately trying to do it. Like he thinks this is actually like st- he still got it. And it's weird to watch. And I'd say sad, but it's Bill Belichick. I'm not going to be sad. Yeah, but, I was going to say. But also here's my like, Bill Simmons parody take of the week. I just can't wait to see Belichick <laughs> get the number two pick and then, you know, trade down for four, you know, rugby, rugby kickers and log snappers. Like that's that's the hot Simmons take, right? That he'll get the high pick <laughs> and then break it down into a thousand mini yeah. picks. Yeah, I, this is the, it seems like all of the mistakes, again, with all the stuff that Drew was describing, as egregious as it is in terms of the, the quarterback, especially shit, is like, that's classic Belichick, not the quarterback stuff. And for the longest time, that was one thing he didn't have to worry about. But yanking stuff around, being really high-handed, refusing to like sort of say to anybody what it is he's actually doing. Like if you had to describe Belichick's whole thing, like that's it. And the problem, it seems, is that like as that has stopped working, he's just like mashing the same button even harder instead of like... And who knows, if I'm 71 years old, I might have a hard time changing anything about myself, too. But it does seem to me like he's not capable of, like, updating the approach in any meaningful way. It is, Even though it's, like, at this point, bottomed out. It is now as if he is one of his own assistants running a new team. Does that make sense? So it's got, yeah. it's got a McDaniels in Vegas feel to it. It's got Patricia in Detroit feel to it. And I don't think that's going away. We have to... Uh, get to a fun bag question very quickly because we're running out of time. I know, Matt, I know, man. No one, no one wanted, no one wanted to hear my sports opinion. No, <laughs> that was the whole goddamn point of having you all. Well, like, I mean, guys, you guys should. Okay, can I just say a little Simpsons thing? That yes. One of the episodes we made that I'm most, most, most proud of uh, is called The Town, and it's a travel show where the Simpsons go to Boston. And I don't know if you millennial fans of the classic Simpsons have seen it, but it is, it is the most Boston tastic Patriots fu craziness you could ever imagine love letter to my childhood and uh it's it has tons of anti brady belichick bell biv devoe every every boston <laughs> thing you can imagine is all in the that big episode. icons yes they're all the big all the big b austin b boston i bake four b's baked, baked beans are are <laughs> bell biv and are bell biv and devoe from boston i know they yes guys. oh yeah yeah like, well they're from uh I don't know my Boston lore. New Edition was like a Boston area supergroup. No shit. I had no one idea. Of my, one of my real memories as a kid was they used to have, remember like they used to have like 1-800 numbers where you could like call and hear a recording of a famous person. Yeah, I like, did a gag with Jessica Hahn two weeks ago about that. The Corey hotline. There was one for Bobby Brown that I remember seeing in the mornings, like watching cartoons and it was him like the new edition Bobby Brown when he was like America's heartthrob and he says, don't break my heart at the end of it. And that was how I knew that he was a Boston guy. I can still hear that in my head. Yeah. Uh, Let's open up the fun bag real quick. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for one. Matt Simon, this is from Drew, not me, a different Drew. If you could travel back 20 years in time with a pro football reference draft database and get hired as an NFL general manager and forcibly draft the best players every year, would your team win at least 15 Super Bowls? That's so many Super Bowls. That's a lot of Super Bowls, but you would have 20 years of draft predictions in your back pocket. Could you do it? No, definitely not. I don't, whenever, I love football. I could watch football all day. I don't know where the ball is most of the time. I don't know <laughs> what a formation is. I know. Okay, I know what in the pocket is a little bit, 
but I and I know when they're like close to the center, and I know when they're far back from the center. I don't, I can't read a defense. I don't know what an eleven is. I don't know what a, all those words mean. Can you identify the mic? No, that's my favorite thing. That's the middle line. The mic is the middle line. I mean, when a penalty happens, I never know what the penalty was. And it's the magic hypnosis of this sport that like dum-dums like me who are incapable of watching 11 times to 22 people running around. I don't know what's happening, but then they show it in slow motion six times and it's cool. <laughs> so I could, I could not do, I could not be anything good in the coach department. I feel like that's 15 Super Bowls is the number that's an issue for me. I feel like if you went through and you got the best player at every spot in every draft and you knew who it was going to be with the power of hindsight, you would have a really good roster, obviously, but I don't know. There's so many variables because football is so stupid and so brutal and stuff like that, that it's like if you're picking, I guess it's like you're going back with the benefit of that website and picking guys that didn't get hurt or did stay healthy or whatever, but you can't control the reality going forward. And also so much of who is a successful football player is how, what a good fit they are with the system. Like I can repeat, I can repeat other people's takes till the cows come home. No, I think that's right. I I I have no insight of my own. I assure you. Right, if you if you drafted all of them, but you you, you hired like fucking Rich Kotite as the coach, right? Yeah. That's the fun part of the question: is you do all of that, like you do all of it, but you're the Carolina Panthers. But like, does it matter? What about like, the, here's what another Belichick thing? Since we're kicking him while he's down, is the the big deal at the beginning of this season was is he going to stick around long enough to was it to beat Don Shula's winning record? Yeah, the all-time wins record. So That's if he's right. Win, if he's going to win two a year, how many more years does he need? <laughs> he's actually, he's a, he's in the teens behind Shula. And right, so, no, he's, he's like years behind it. Right, so before the season, it was like, oh, he can catch him like in 2024. That's like gone. That's that off the table. 2030. Like we're, we're, we're starting to get in the area where it's like, oh, Tiger can't pass Jack Nicholas anymore. Like that's where this is sort of, what if we found out that Belichick was super addicted to daily fantasy <laughs> and that's why he wasn't able to focus, give all his focus to the teams? Well, who can who can argue them? You can win big money that way. Oh, Matt. yeah, shiploads. So you can win Simpsons money with that shit. Matt Selman, you're an executive producer of The Simpsons, which airs on some network. I can't remember which one. I think country music television. Well, yeah, guys, actually I mean, the, the Simpsons, I know you want to end this show, which I, I agree you should, that the... <laughs> The, the the success of the Simpsons is so directly connected to the NFL. Speaking of sports, <laughs> that like yeah. it's crazy. We this the Fox has eight NFL doubleheaders every year, and this year we didn't. The Simpsons was did not receive the direct lead in for some of them because they're trying to launch this show, Crapopolis. Good luck. And uh, you know, I'm part of the fun part of my job is picking Simpsons episodes that I think are good thematic fits with the NFL lead-in. Like, I think The Simpsons, maybe unlike other shows, is a great connection to the NFL. It's about a middle-class American middle family of middleness, and that's who loves football. Why not? So, like, there's a Simpsons, I'm going to plug it, that airs after the Cowboys-Dolphins game, which should be a good game, on Christmas Eve, right? Christmas Eve. Brand new Simpsons airs at eight o'clock after Cowboys Dolphins, which should be a good game, right? Guys, I assume they're like, yeah, God, I hope teams. so. I mean, it could, it could be, it could be a blowout, I would say, for the Cowboys, but it it could you could see it going a lot of ways. Um the inspiration for that episode was that video that was going around last year where two guys were cheating. Some guys were cheating in a fishing competition and they cut open the belly of the fish and all these weights. Yeah, they were yeah. stuffing it with weights. And there was like a oh, there was like a blue collar redneck riot on of like handheld video riot, so that was the inspiration for this. And that episode is like like the, one of the joys of my job is thinking, oh my god, sports fans are gonna love this episode. We 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 did like you were asking earlier. Can you jam in recent references? Yes, we can, Harbaugh. And you know, <laughs> nice. this, this, the, the theme of cheating and sports and what it means to cheat and is 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 just super fun and. That's my big plug. That in the Simpsons episode, The Town, which aired eight years ago or something. 2006. <laughs> right. 
Well, that that those are both acceptable plugs. We're so happy to have you on. Oh, it's uh, a joy. Matt I apologize to people who know about sports. Uh, Eric Silver is our producer. Misha Stanton is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com. Just go to Defector wow. and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com. Or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANERA-ZERO. Matt Selman, thank you so much for coming on. Will you come on again sometime, sir? Oh, my God. I mean, I would be, I would be honored. Thank you I so never much, get man. a better workout than the next day when I'm listening to my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> riding that fan bike yeah, like snow tomorrow. yeah on the fan bike yeah <laughs> we'll see you next week everybody goodbye bye